Well, welcome to episode two of The Afterword, a conversation on books, reading, and the church brought to you by the Westminster Bookstore. My name is Josiah Pettit. I'm the director here at the bookstore, and uh, as a team, we've we've been really encouraged by the response to episode one uh, with Dane Ortland. So we've been hard at work lining up uh, a bunch of future episodes with more of our favorite authors. Uh, we've got Mark Vrogop, Melissa Kruger, and Nancy Guthrie, along with several others in the pipeline. So we hope that you will stay tuned and, and spread the word. This afternoon, our host, Johnny Gibson, will be talking with David Murray about family worship and the use of books in the care of souls. And uh, unless, unless they show some self-restraint, chances are good one of them is going to bring up uh, Liverpool's return to Premier League glory after the long 30-year wait. But uh, I think you'll find that both David and Johnny, besides being diehard Liverpool fans, uh, possess in their teaching and in their writing uh, this rare and priceless gift of being able to take complex theological truths and distill them in a way that's, that's wonderfully simple. Uh, both of them teach at the seminary level and yet have written books uh, for children. Uh, Twelve books, actually, between the two of them. And uh, by way of introduction, I, I thought I'd highlight two of my favorites uh, from David and Johnny. Uh, the first one is The Moon is Always Round uh, by Johnny Gibson, published by New Growth Press. Um, and uh, in, in this book, uh, Johnny poetically tells the story of his daughter's death in the womb, uh, just days before her birth. Uh, and uh, he uses the moon as a, a vivid metaphor for explaining God's goodness to us, even when we can't see all of it, uh, in a way that his son, his son Ben, who was, who was three years old at the time, could understand. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard book to read. Uh, it's not easy to read it to your children, but I think it's a really important one. Uh, Paul Miller calls it a modern-day psalm for children. It takes us into the depths and points us to faith in God. The moon metaphor that he uses uh, will really just stick with you and your children after one, one read-through and, and will give just a lasting and really helpful framework for understanding that our hope is greater than death. And the other book, uh, Reset by David Murray, I'm not able to hold up for you right now because I just gave my copy away to a friend uh, just last week. Uh, it's one of those books that I've lost track how many times I've had to repurchase it for myself because I just find myself uh, handing it out uh, over and over again. Um, Jamar Tisby says this about it. He says, this book may literally save your marriage, your ministry, and your health. Justin Taylor says that it may be one of the most important books that Crossway has published. Uh, and it's just one of those books that I find myself returning to often um, in seasons of stress and burnout. Uh, it's filled with scripture and then also immediately practical tips like don't charge your phone in your bedroom overnight so that it's not the, the first thing you, you see when you wake up in the morning and the last thing you look at before bed. Um, all of David and Johnny's books are available on our website at wtsbooks.com slash afterward. Uh, many of them are on sale for half price until next week, Thursday. So I'd encourage you to, to go there and, uh, and check those out. 
between Johnny's Irish accent and David's Scottish brogue, I think I could probably just listen to the two of them go back and forth, um, reading a phone book for an hour and, and remain engaged. But uh, I think that you'll find the content of their conversation as equally stimulating as their accents. So with that, let me turn it over to David and Johnny with a, a question from one of our listeners. Russell asks this, he says, what are your, what's a list of top five books that every Christian should read in their lifetime? Johnny? I don't know if you know what Northern Irish people call the Scots. I don't. You don't know that they call the Scots the Irish who couldn't swim. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that explains the similarity in the accent. You, know. you, you uh, get further away from the English than we did. That's right. That's right. We got a bit of water between us. Yeah. 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 Well, Josiah asked me there about um, the top five books uh, that I think every Christian should read. My books would be um, J.I. Packer's Knowing God, R.C. Sproul's The Holiness of God, uh, John Piper's uh, The Pleasures of God, uh, Augustine's Confessions, and then, if I may be allowed two extra books, uh, not a fifth, just not an extra one, but um, two books that go together that are really quite quirky, but I really enjoy them. Um, Notes from the Tilta World and Death by Living by Andy Wilson. So those are my uh, top five books that I think every Christian should read. Uh, what about you, David? Well, you've got a couple on there that would be on my list too. The John Piper, Pleasures of God, R.C. Sproul, Holiness of God. Uh, you've got two on there that would probably be pretty close to the bottom of my list. Um, not that they're not good books, but I just have never connected with them, however hard I've tried. I, I don't think I'm clever enough somehow. The the Andy Wilson books. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I, I believe they're brilliant, and that's probably why I, I don't really get them. But yeah. the, the other books that I really like, um, if, I, if I could take five with me, in addition to the Piper and Sproul ones, are John Murray, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, uh, John Owen, The Glory of Christ, uh, a bit more meaty, and you could probably only read about a page or two a day. Uh, George Smeaton, uh, the, I'm going to cheat here a little bit because you cheated, um, yeah. Christ's Doctrine of the Atonement and the Apostles' Doctrine of the Atonement. And yeah, I'll just go one up on your cheat and add Keller, The Meaning of Marriage, that's been a very influential book in my own life and, and marriage, and uh, I'd have to have it with me wherever I go. Yeah, oh, very good. And is there a favorite author you have that you find yourself uh, returning to again and again? You know, on that, I don't think as Christians we're terribly good writers. I mean, I think we're good at theology, but we're not great at expressing our theology. And, and a lot of a lot of Christian books are just they're really solid and they're really true, but they're pretty boring to read. And I think that's that's the area that probably a lot of us need to be challenged on a lot more, especially if we want to reach outside our own constituencies. And I think two men who do that well for me are are John Piper and Tim Keller. I find both their thought fresh and their method of expressing it fresh yeah. and, and especially with Piper his ability to make it worshipful 
so that reading is more than an intellectual exercise, but it does actually bring you into the presence of God, communion with God, and and improve your, hopefully, your sanctification as well. So Piper and Keller are my go-tos if I'm looking for someone who will teach me, but also um, sanctify me. And, and maybe I could use this word, entertain me. And I mean that in the best possible sense, like give me pleasure in the reading experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I for me, Piper was certainly someone like that in my late teens, early 20s. I encountered him and sort of transported me into another world, mm-hmm. but like what C.S. Lewis does as well for me. Mm. Uh, as he sort of uh, gives me this uh, magnificent picture of who God is in all his glory. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you talked there about uh, books that sort of entertain you in the best sense of the word. Is there a certain kind of book you like to read for relaxation? Yeah. Um, so obviously, like yourself, Johnny, reading is a large part of my daily life. Reading probably at a pretty intense academic level at times, then trying to simplify and organize and things like that. So in my leisure time, I don't tend to read a lot of Christian books, I have to be honest. I I like to just give my mind a rest. So what I love are biographies. Um, I used to read a lot of military biographies, but I found them a bit depressing eventually. And there's just a lot of sadness and death in them. So I I tend towards more like sports biographies, political biographies, business biographies. I, I had a short time in business before I went into the ministry. So it always interested me. And my two boys are in business themselves. And so just I like to keep in touch with things and um, just just learn from some of the good organizational leadership issues that are addressed in some of these books. Probably yourself, what do you like outside of work? Yeah, I, I'm not very good, actually, at reading for relaxation beyond theology books. I, believe it or not, I'll, I'll find a good, thick theology book actually quite relaxing on holiday. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're a real academic, okay? I'm just a pretendy one. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've tried to get into a bit of Marilyn Robinson, Gilead. I, th- I find her writing just beautiful. And yeah. uh, I enjoy C.S. Lewis. Anything Lewis writes, I, I find that very relaxing yeah. uh, to enjoy that, you know. Um, just speaking practically, is there a time of day that you enjoy reading or you find it most productive? And is there a certain posture that you find reading is in which it's most productive for you? Yeah, I, I, I like to so finish up my working day, as it were, at five or so, and do a bit of exercise, then spend time with the family till about 8, 8.30. And then probably spend 8.30 to 9.30, ideally, maybe even 10 on reading. And I find that's a good way of winding down. Mm-hmm. And I also tend to do it lying down, which, again, might be a bit strange. But I find, like, after a day at the computer, my neck and shoulders are really tense and sore. Not all the time, but oftentimes. So I just find lying down, um, head in the pillow. And, again, just just helps you get into the relaxation mode and out of the work mode and gives you a different feel to what you're doing, which I think is part of the renewal that we need for the next day's work. Yeah, 
yeah. Do any of the kids massage your feet while you're lying there, or you haven't trained them up well, that well yet? No, we did actually. My wife got gifted a foot massager about a, a month ago, and uh, we haven't got it going yet. It kind of feels a bit weird, very you know, like first world day to me. But um, that my daughter is pretty good on the shoulders. So sometimes when she sees me like really uptight, you know, she'll she'll come and give me a real deep rub in my shoulders, which actually is very good. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, let's just talk about reading for sermon preparation. You're a pastor. Uh, you do a lot of preaching. Um, yeah. What kind of reading do you do for sermon prep? Yeah, I used to do a lot more reading for sermon prep than I do now. I, again, I think that's probably just partly once you've been preaching for 25 years, obviously you've built a base of knowledge that you're usually not aware of, but it's there. Mm -hmm. And so I probably spend less time reading, more time just going straight to writing now. So I try and get the text put it on the computer, Microsoft Word, start working with it, just start throwing out thoughts and ideas and structures, just milking my own brain dry, first of all. <laughs> and then I go to my books. Now, I'm not recommending that as for somebody who's just starting preaching. I think you can go off, you know, on a tangent and waste a lot of time. But on the whole, that, that works for me. It also tends to make my sermons, I hope, a bit fresher and that it's coming primarily from me. And then I use books more for correcting, supplementing, um, also just cultivating devotion and worship in my preparation. So my ideal is maybe to get to five or six really good commentaries that I can rely on. If I'm, say I'm going through a series, I might start with nine or 10, but they drop off as you go along the way, as you realize some are it's a bit duplicating, others are not so helpful. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, maybe an hour and a half to two hours of reading. Um, and that, I mean, obviously that can change if it's a really deep theological, theological subject you're addressing, but that would be about the average. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that freshness is so important, isn't it? And mm -hmm. uh, I, I know what you mean, the longer you've been preaching, the uh, more you can draw on your own base of knowledge and experience and interaction with the text. Uh, I, I like what Spurgeon said. Um, he said, uh, borrowed axe heads are always blunt. <laughs> right. And uh, right. I think yeah. that's a good le a good reminder for preachers, isn't it? It's the more yep. uh, fresh interaction with the text you can do, less dependent on commentators and others who've preached it. The fresher it is when you come to actually it, preach the word, it cuts more deeply, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy today, you know, with so many good reformed resources out there. It's just too easy to get reliant. And you know, sometimes I just force myself, although it's easier to go to the books, like just live as if you had no books, like as if you had no, no books in your library, what would you do? Well, you would pray and you would just soak in these scriptures until God speaks and God opens up your mind. And I think we need to do a bit more of that, maybe not all the time, but I think we can get out of that habit. We can lose that muscle. And it just, we become regurgitators of other people's thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a listener question here from uh, Dan. Uh, he's asking the question, he said, I'm the pastor of a church 
Uh, all my people can read, but they don't. Uh, it is a mixture of not being in the habit of reading and an attitude that all they need is the Bible. Yeah. Uh, how can I get my members who don't consider themselves to be readers to read good books? So I might take a wee bit of an unusual approach to this. And um, I might be judged a bit of a heretic, especially by a podcast sponsored by a bookshop. But my own feeling is, okay, if people are not reading, can you really force them to do it? Maybe a little bit, but not for long. You've got to build a desire and a longing in people. And so the main way people are receiving truth today is through video and podcasting and so i would i would encourage pastors to get truth out to their congregations via short videos short podcasts um and and focus more on on them learning rather than reading you know as long as they are learning whether it comes through the eye the ear books podcasts videos i don't think it's that important initially but I think things like short podcasts, short videos can excite and entice and hopefully, you know, begin to grow an appetite for more substantial and demanding um, ways of learning like good books. Um, so I would, I would encourage a, a bridging, a stepping stone approach to it. Uh, and you know, pastors don't even have to do it themselves. There's lots of good podcasts out there, video podcasts like this one. And um, I think just just take a graduated approach. But I think also with regards to reading, we have to start small. Most pastors like books two, three, four hundred pages long. There's a really good market today in short books. PNR doing them, RHB, Banner of Truth, Crossway. They're all doing shorter books. 100 pages and less. And again, it's, they're just great starters to get people into it. I really, I do believe if people could get started and in and, and digestible, doable form, it will grow, it will multiply, but don't make them jump too far, too fast, too, too high. And I think another way of doing it is if a pastor can find a book that will go along with a sermon series or something like that, and just encourage people each week to be reading, you know, five to ten pages even. You know, over nine or ten weeks, they could they could finish a short book. And so I think the people though who say, I've got my Bible, that's enough. Well, get them books that help them understand the Bible better. Mm -hmm. So in all of these things, I'm really saying uh, meet people where they are rather than you know trying to get them to, to go way high. And, and the, but try and raise them slowly to a higher level. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful principle. It's it's really how God deals with us, isn't it? He picks us up where we are, not where we ought to be, and then he right. takes us yeah. forward. And I think it's a good principle for a pastor to just ask, where's the congregation at, and to move yeah. them forward. Now, that brings me to your books, because uh, you don't write 500-page uh, books. Uh, you, you write 100, 200-page books, which are popular level, uh, I think, really accessible to the ordinary Christian. I think that's why they're so useful and beneficial for the church. Uh, you have uh, a book called The Happy Christian, uh, Jesus on Every Page, uh, Reset, Refresh, and uh, your latest one is uh, Exploring the Bible Together. So I want to focus on um, 
Reset and Refresh. Um, the subtitle for Reset is um, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. Uh, I wanted to ask, do you think that um, the kind of pressures we have these days in our lives, whether you're in ministry or, or any other job, uh, do you think burnout is inevitable? Um, I think it is if you are conscientious and caring. I mean, obviously, if you're just a lazy person, I think burnout is the least of your worries. But if you are a caring person, a compassionate person, conscientious about your ministry, your vocation, uh, the accessibility and the expectation today is so high. So when these things combine accessibility and expectation on one side, conscientiousness, compassion and caring on the other, it's really a, a, a recipe for disastrous burnout. And no matter how much we, we might warn ourselves or others about it, we all tend to think we're indestructible. We're, we're the exception. Uh, we, we can break the rules. Uh, they don't apply to us. And therefore, I think in some ways, yes, it, it, it's inevitable. Uh, and, and it's not always a bad thing. I mean, I think we should push ourselves uh, until we hit our limits. Hopefully not go over them too far and you end up in long-term illness or something like that. But as you begin to recognize the signs and symptoms of burnout, that you, you begin to learn, okay, I'm human. I'm not a disembodied spirit. I need to take care of my body and my mind and my marriage and my friendships. And I need to cut back here or I'm not going to last. So it's, it's not so much, um, burnout itself is not so much a problem, but our response to it. Are we, are we going to learn uh, and, and make progress as a result of it? Hmm. Uh, do you want to unpack just a couple of the uh, principles that you um, uh, suggest people apply in reset? Uh, it's, you, you have a, I've noticed in all your books, you have a lovely way of using alliteration. Uh, you know, Jesus on every page, each chapter has a P in the chapter title. In reset, it's all uh, imperatives beginning with R. Uh, do you want to unpack two or three of those and just say, here are three things that actually will help avoid burnout and help actually you live a better sustained life at work or in ministry? Yeah, I think the these steps are steps that I found personally useful when I've had a couple of episodes of burnout in my life. And, and they're steps that I developed for myself, but then in counseling other men, the, the same things kept coming up again and again and again. So I think it, it begins with a reality check, just where am I? What What's wrong here? Recognizing symptoms. That's really a large part of this is people eventually saying, okay, like I thought that was normal. No, it's not normal. Um, you know, we need to work on this. But then I think to review your life, how did you get here? So this didn't just you know, drop out of the blue. There have been causes that have led to this effect. And I think it's very important. If we don't want to repeat the burnout, we have to learn how did we end up at broken down in this garage, garage for you, Johnny. Yeah. Um, but then moving on to things like rest, your sleep, uh, Sabbath, mental rest from things like digital technology, recreation or recreating by recreation, 
things like exercise, your hobbies, getting outside, vacations, sabbaticals, relationships, dealing with things like your marriage, your friendships, relationships with elders, accountability. And, and then I do a chapter on refueling, trying to find the things that actually will fill us up again. So that may be things like how you eat, what you eat, getting good energy, full foods, um, things like even medication. Sometimes if our burnout is so bad, it may be that we need to be refueled in that sense, chemi chemicals replenished. But I really focus on the activities that, that actually make us thrive. So in ministry, there's a lot of giving, there's a lot of draining. We need, it's not that we need to stop that, but we need to find other ones that will actually fill us up again. Again, if we don't, we're just going to run out of fuel and, 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 and crash. So things like that, very, very practical. But I try and base each chapter on theology too. Is so that we begin with biblical principles and then, okay, what does this look like? How does science help us fill this out? How does how does research help us apply this biblical principle? That's the kind of approach I try and take in, in reset. Yeah, I, I appreciated uh, that about the book. It was based on the Bible. And then you were also looking for, uh, you know, common grace things uh, that uh, all truth is God's truth. And you're able to glean some wisdom from health, diet, uh, things like that, how we sleep, things like that, I thought was really helpful in the book. Are there some of those things that you suggest doing as you've written the book now a couple of years ago that you find easy and others that you actually have to work really hard at? To, yeah. You know? you know, to be honest, I have to work hard at all of it. I, I, I think some of us have defaults that are very deep and very long and just need, it just needs constant work. Otherwise you do just go back to your defaults. And I expect that to be a battle for the rest of my life really. And so I just got to keep working at it. But the things I find especially difficult are um, digital technology, like keeping that in the right place, mm -hmm. protecting my brain from information overload, hyperstimulation, uh, getting uninterrupted time for deep work and, and deep spiritual work as well. Um, I, find, I find it easy to develop relationships with my wife and family, an area that I definitely need to work on more is friendships, male friendships. Um, try uh, making progress in that area, but um, it's an area I've really got to prioritize. One area I used to find harder and I find a lot easier now is sleep. And, and that's really just through bitter experience. I just know I cannot survive or thrive even without a good seven and a half hours sleep a night. And it's just, it's not worth the cost. So it's it's a lifelong process. I don't have this mastered. You, you yeah. probably do, Johnny. You can guide me in it. Uh, no, I don't. Um, I have a friend who recently read the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Yeah. Have you heard of it? It's a bit yeah. of a bestseller. Yeah. And uh, he's read it and he's changed his uh, lifestyle to go to bed at um, nine o'clock at night, gets up at five in the morning. Yeah. And uh, he said it's completely revolutionized the amount of work he can get done, how he feels health-wise. And he finds that bit before the children get up 
uh, he can just get a lot of work done undistracted, you know. Yeah. I, I'm probably the other way around. I'm a I'm a night owl, so I I find ten o'clock to midnight or to one in the morning. Oh. I can get an incredible amount of work done, you know. Uh, but I would prefer. You sleep. I mean, can you go straight to sleep after that? Yeah, I can. Yeah. 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 I, well, and, but, how different we are. Yeah, but I do a bit like you. I I've realised I'm in early forties now, and I. I need I've real I, I need seventy eight hours. Otherwise, I just whereas ten years ago I could have gone on five six hours a night, no problem. Where I can see yeah. now. So anyway, that that's my book for my holiday reading in two weeks time. Why we sleep? Isn't it ridiculous <laughs> that we need a book to tell us why we should sleep? I mean, that it <laughs> says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, but you know you have that proverb sweet is the sleep of a laborer you know the, the know. we don't need to go to the secular world the, the the bible does just encourage good sleep doesn't it yeah um, yeah and i think that is a challenge for you know those of us that they call us information workers they really just mean sedentary workers we don't actually go off our seats all day um and i think our bodies at times are just crying out would you move me like would you just do something with me and, I mean, both my boys, well, they're not boys, they're 24 and 22 now, they're both in manual trades. One's mm. got his own handyman business and others get his own painting business. These guys sleep so well. It's like yeah. I am so jealous. They can just sleep and sleep and sleep and yeah. nothing will wake them up. And I, I'm just like tossing and turning and like if a grasshopper chirps outside, I'm wide awake. And, oh. There's no no grasshoppers in Scotland. They wouldn't wake you up. <laughs> Just a sheep there. <laughs> That's right. Um, now uh, you and your wife Shona wrote uh, uh, a similar book called Refresh for Women. Uh, what was it about the re reset book that you felt wouldn't be applicable to women, or why do you think women needed their own book? Is mm. there different things that make them move towards burnout? Is there different principles that they need? Obviously, there's overlap there. But what was it about women that you thought, let's do a book specifically for women? Yeah, it was actually one of the people that is sort of a counsellor to me in writing. I, I, I sent the manuscript to her and she came back to me and said, David, where's the one for women? And I said, well, do you not think this one would do? And she said, no, 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 no. So we chatted a bit and began to realize, okay, yeah, there, there's a need for a different approach. I think number one, my book is sort of very male in its approach in that there's a lot of bullet points and facts, whereas women learn a lot better through story, personal biography. I've got a bit of that in my book, but I think women want a lot more of that. And um, Shona has had her own story as well of burnout. In my case, my burnouts were more physical, uh, bad health, illness. Hers were more in the emotional, mental, you know, depression, anxiety side. So I think, although there's, again, there's crossover, when a man pushes himself too far, it does tend to manifest itself maybe more in the physical, whereas in women, it's more in the emotional. That's not a clear division. It's really just talking about emphasis. Mm -hmm. And and so we thought, well, you know, her story suits what women really want. And 
and women will relate to a woman a lot better than than to a guy. So mm. that's why we did it. And yeah, there seems to I think they've both sold about the same number of copies. So I think mm. it's a, it's an equal problem for men and women. But I do think women talk about it a bit more openly. Yeah, I I know uh, my Jackie uh, really enjoyed the the book Refresh and mm. find it very Great. helpful. Yeah. Great. Uh, let's move to talk about your uh, books, your your latest books on um, really family devotions, which feed, which connects to this whole idea of reset and refresh, having a, a devotional walk with the Lord as an individual, but also as as a family. Uh, did you write these books on family devotions? There are 52 week plans that take you through the Bible. Uh, did you write them because you were frustrated with what was out there or? it didn't work that what's mm. out there you tried it didn't work well, why why did you decide to write a book on yeah. emotions johnny i started it first of all just for my own kids i just started i felt number one what was out there had either too much bible which is a strange thing to say maybe but kids are not going to keep up reading a chapter a day yeah or there was too little bible like you might get a verse and then a page of commentary and devotional um, or there was really no interaction. So you didn't actually know if your kids had read it or not. You know, there was no place for filling in a question or something like that. So I just started for my kids each Saturday. I would spend about half an hour preparing something for the next week, Sunday to Saturday, uh, three or four verses and a question, three or four verses and a question. And then somebody saw them and said, you should post them on the Internet. So I posted them on the Internet. And then Charlie's got a hold of them and he said, you should put this into a book. And then Justin Taylor got in touch, and that's really where this came from. And and Charlie's and Justin, they really helped me develop it more and and make it more suitable. Uh, so there was again, I find writing a bit, very collaborative process when it's at its best, and and you're trying to, you know, you, your own mind, your own family is unique, but other people have different minds, different family setups. So trying to just craft something that will hit more bases, and uh, from from the feedback so far, I think most families have found it, yeah, about the right amount of Bible to keep the kids going, uh, a question to keep them accountable. Um, also, the fact that it takes them through the whole Bible in a year, so it's not dotting around everywhere, but it's sort of the overarching story of Scripture. Obviously, not every verse in the Bible. We try to pick out the main peaks. And, and hopefully in the course of a year, getting that big story of redemption in, in, in a broad sweep, rather than just, you know, a lot of devotionals are here, there and everywhere. So it's not perfect, but um, I think it suits a lot of families and kids and so far, good feedback. Yeah, uh, we haven't started using them, but we have them at home and I've flicked well, through it. They've been out for three years. What have oh, you been there doing? You go. Well, uh, uh, Catherine Vosk, our hardest Voss's wife's uh, story Bible. We're right in the middle of Judges at the minute, so yeah. I, I don't want to give it up because Ben actually he's uh, he's enjoying that. But um, yeah. I plan to use it, you know, after we finish the Voss one. But uh, I'll check up. Yeah, yeah, do do. Um, uh, I uh, I think what I liked about it as I looked through it, I thought it's 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 doable. It's short. You've been very realistic, I think, with young families. Um, I like the question that keeps them 
and engage, but also then you have the prayer point that you recommend. And then I like the Bible memory verse. You actually get, uh, I think it's one memory verse a week. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, so I, I think those kinds of things, uh, you know, are, are very attractive about it and uh, very make it accessible and achievable. Yeah, I hope so. You know, we just a few months ago, we put out Exploring the Bible Together, mm. which is, it covers exactly the same scriptures, follows the same um, arch of the overarching story of the Bible, coincides with the daily readings and Exploring the Bible, but it's designed for family worship so that, you know, what the kids are doing in their own private Exploring the Bible, parents can reinforce with family worship and it's got a couple of questions a wee bit more interaction a wee bit more prayer point and life lesson for each day so i mean it's um you're just trying to help families get very practical doable uh, guides to scripture that actually get bible into the kids Mm. And and that is where the blessing is. That is where salvation is. That is where Christ is found. And it's, you, you can't, you know, my, I suppose my dream is that these books will no longer be required. That oh. you know, gets kids and it gets parents into that daily habit mm -hmm. that becomes just a lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. and, and the way I believe to do that is, is make it doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the great uh, uh, factor in the book is that achievability aspect of it, you know. Um, do you find uh, a certain time of the day is good for family devotions? And, and has that changed over the years as your mm -hmm. children enter different different ages and stages of life? Um, yeah, definitely, Johnny. Uh, again, you want to set rules for people just encourage them to find the best time. When we were homeschooling in Scotland and I was working at home as a pastor, the best time was first thing in the morning after mm -hmm. breakfast. Um, now with me often working up in the seminary, um, the kids at school are working. We found the time that has most of us around is just after supper in the evening, mm -hmm. dinner as you and I would call it. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, are they always all there? Nope, certainly not. But, you know, you just do what you can with what you've got mm -hmm. and encourage them to be there and try and make it work. Like, don't make it too long. That just teens will try and avoid that if you do. Yeah. And, and, and yet, you know, don't become legalistic about it either. And better, I, I feel like better do a couple of minutes every day than 10, 15 minutes that you can't sustain or it just becomes really spotty. Mm. Yeah, I think less is more. And uh, if, if you have it just as a basic minimum time-wise, uh, as you say, some people can't be there, uh, but you can at least get it in every day or yeah. most days, you know. At the I mean, moment, your family at a different stage to mine. What do you do? Yeah, so Ben's eight, and then Zachary is 18 months, and Hannah's six months. So uh, about halfway through, we do it in the evenings after yeah. dinner, but uh, about halfway through dinner, Hannah lets us know that it's bath time, and uh, she's not really going to tolerate uh, even finishing the meal, let, uh, letting us finish the meal in peace. So at the minute, we start it. We start reading the Catherine Voss book, yeah. and Jackie just disappears halfway through because Hannah's yeah. losing it. Yeah. 
And Zach, we let him just roam around the, the room, carrying things, bringing things to us. Ben, Ben's the one who's obviously engaged with it. And uh, so we do that. And then we do a, the little catechism, the Westminster Shorter Children's one. We're teaching Zach the actions to the first five questions, you know, who made you God? And we get him to put his hands in the air <laughs> into a circle. And funny, he's only 18 months, but um, he's starting to twig onto it. And, and then we sing uh, the song, Who's the King of the Jungle? Okay, okay. Uh, you know? and, and, that, and then Zach again will wander. Jackie's uh, got Hannah uh, giving her a bath. And uh, Ben and I will just do a short prayer time. We, we call them arrow prayers some night. We just talk about a praise arrow or a petition yeah, arrow. Yeah. I like it. You know, so you've got to, I've learned this over the year, you've got to adapt it for kids, don't you? And I'd rather do three minutes, yep. bare minimum, most days of the week, than, as you said, trying to do the 10, 15 minutes that is done two days of the week and the other weeks. You know? and, I, and I think just to try and infuse it with joy and yeah. happiness, you know, yeah. rather than this, well, we've got to do this, we've got to get through this. By the yeah. way, I've, I've found a really good supply of restraining straps. Um, we've got them attached to all of our seats, so it works really <laughs> well. I, that's the missing factor. That's hey. <laughs> Maybe we need to put a mask on Hannah and uh, muffle the sound or something, you know? Well, I think you're getting political now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you uh, sing as a family in your devotions? Yep. Um, not all the time, but most of the time. We we um, have continued to use our Scottish Psalter. Yeah. Uh -huh. Come over here. We don't use it all the time, but I don't know. I just think it's a nice connection back with our own Scottish mm. heritage. Some of them aren't so easy for kids to understand. So I've, I've introduced some modern Psalms as well from the RPCNA. Sometimes we do some Getty songs. Um, some, who else do we use? Some Mercy Me. So just, again, just vary it a little bit. So that you just, you just, if you don't, you just get stuck in a legalistic routine. And it's yeah. just do it to do it rather than doing it to profit from it. Yeah. One of the things I liked about your... Uh, devotional books uh the family one and even the chil children's one is sunday's sort of blank i mean you have questions mm. for sunday but you've you've actually been sensitive to sunday's a busy day for many families mm. so to try and fit in a family devotion on the lord's day uh, can actually be harder than other days of the week at least I we know. find that at the moment it's weird I know. Yeah, and but what I liked was, in a sense, you're saying, well, no, let, let me just ask you some questions about what church was like. Mm. What, you know, what was the sermon about? What, what can you pray as a result? Uh, simple questions like that, uh, I think, have been helpful. I've, if you don't mind me asking, what, what are your Lord's days like as a family? Do you find it hard to actually get the time for a devotion, or do you allow church to actually be the time that right. in you worship together as a family? Right. Yeah, it was actually Tim Challies who made me take out Sunday as another reading day because mm -hmm. he said, David, I know like your discipline and all that, but lots of families find it really tough. Um, if you give them a day off, there's a day to catch up. If you don't give them a day to catch up, they'll feel defeated and it'll drop off. And it's amazing how many people have said to me, hey, Sunday is a great idea, like, you know, not getting us to do anything in that way. But 
what we did want to do was create a discussion amongst the family so that it wasn't new material, but either going over the week with a question about the week's readings or ideally going through the sermon. And again, just trying to connect kids, you know, Bible at home, Bible at church, and we talk about it. We don't just let it go in one ear, out the other. It's not just the routine. Let's really develop this habit of talking. And as you know, Johnny, from um, your British heritage, it's a big thing in, in British churches, fellowship around the gospel, talking freely about your own interaction with scripture and with the Lord. And that's what we try to make Sundays. So, you know, hearing sermons is great, but let's get home and over dinner usually, or a short time in the afternoon, let's, let's chat it through. Not long, but let's just make sure we've got the most out of this that we possibly can. And it's a good accountability thing too. Um, yeah. And then my kids, uh, one plays the banjo, one plays the guitar, the two boys, girl mm -hmm. plays the keyboard. So it's, it's, oftentimes we'll just sit for an hour and sing some songs that they've been learning, get our iPhones out and look out the, the lyrics. I, re I really love that. I mean, what dad wouldn't just dream of that when you're growing up you know, with your kids that one day you'll actually sit around and just sing the gospel to one another. It's it's like, to me, it's the highlight of my week when yeah. that happens. And um, so, yeah, we, we try and make Sunday a joyful day, uh, yeah. a day that we just try and really enjoy one another, enjoy God and make it worshipful. Yeah, that's great. Um, being brought up in Northern Ireland, maybe it was the same in Scotland. Uh, the Lord's Day sometimes felt more like a funeral I know. Uh, than I know. a feast in a uh, funeral in Egypt, more more than a feast in Eden. And yeah. I, I said to Jackie, I, I want Ben and now Zachary and Hannah to grow up and say that Sundays were the best day of the week. Yeah. So that's the day Ben gets pancakes in the morning. Then we go to church. Yeah. Uh, he gets his favorite drink for lunch. We get wine out. Um, we'll go and kick some ball in the garden. We'll go for a walk as a family, you know, and we'll come back and we've started doing a little bit of Jackie will play the piano and just some hymns and Ben will sit and read a book. And it's just become a really special family yeah. day, you know, uh, and sorry, just a tangent, but a connection back to what you're saying. Uh, you know, we, we try Jackie and I at least to chat through the sermon afterwards I think it was the Methodists who used to have the tradition of saying to each other back home after churches, how did you get on today? On the right, third? Right. And that's yeah. uh, nice. That's a nice um, uh, searching question, isn't it? To keep us focused yeah. on what the Lord's day is about. Um, yeah. I always remember Martin Lloyd-Jones gave an address to Sunday school teachers and he said the main thing, if not, if only one thing you get across in your lessons, get across the joy of the Lord, the joy of reading the Bible, worshiping God. And I think I, I want to apply that to the Lord's day as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wh whatever impression our kids get, let it be that this is good. This is great. This is this is like the happiest truths that we could ever encounter and and to commune with god is is a delight and yeah i mean you're going to go through times as we did with our teens where that is just not on the agenda mm -hmm. uh, but you still have to just 
you know, show yourself your own joy and hopefully eventually it'll captivate and, and compel in ways that all of our rowing and disciplining won't. Mm. Are there other books that you've found helpful for family devotions, ones that you could mention? Um, for Not for family devotions. We haven't tended to do that. I, we just tend to read the verses and then I'll try and just say a one-minute thing or ask for questions. For my own soul, I've found Keller's books on the Psalms and Proverbs to be very helpful and just long enough to give you a meaty thought to, to go through your day with. Not not instead of reading the Bible, but just as an additional stimulus, especially if you're going through like the judges or something like that. You know, sometimes you just need that little gospel perk to, to keep you going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did um, JL putting the ten peg in Cicero's head last oh. night. Ben absolutely loved it. He was fascinated oh. by it. And uh, and he can't wait to get to Gideon. So for little kids, actually, at the minute, Judges is exciting. It's got all the action in it. Yeah. Um, is there um, uh, just a couple of final questions? Is there a, a book as a father you think fathers should read to their children? Maybe a fiction book or a Christian book or a C.S. Lewis book? Yeah. Is there any book you think uh, a father should try and read with their kids? We did a lot of the Christian Focus have got a great series of short biographies mm. and, and some of them are like 10 boys who changed the world, 10 girls who changed the world. Um, and then some of these characters, they've got full books on. But again, short that I've noticed when I've read them to the kids, when they get of an age, they can read. They want to read them themselves. So I think uh, the biographies of real people, real boys, real girls, men, women, I think have always been helpful. Uh, some of the historical fiction's been good as well. I, I can't remember who does it. Um, it a bit of liberty is taken with the story, but there's there's parable in it. There's um, lessons in it for life, some really good. But the one I would really encourage is Pilgrim's Progress. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a book yeah. that really grips the imagination, really lodges in kids' brains and comes up many times through life uh, even characters that didn't connect at the time they come back when they're going through certain experiences it's just a i mean is there anything in the christian life it doesn't cover mm -hmm. at some point or other i think for kids to have that at their fingertips can be a huge help to them going through life yeah i um i think it's great commission publications have, have yeah. a children's version of the pilgrim's progress yeah. I read it to Ben about two years ago and he loved it, got yeah. totally into it. And then the other book that he's loved is the uh, 10 of those uh, produced that, uh, is it People Every Child Should Know or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, and it's People yeah. from Church History. Yeah. And uh, yeah, interestingly, he, he really enjoyed that book. That was uh, something that uh, he loved. Yeah. Um, are there uh, any uh, books that you're reading? Um, that, uh, sorry. Uh, that you're working on at the moment, sorry, not reading, but any other books you're writing on at the moment? Yeah, um, I've, I've taken a wee bit of a break from writing just because I, I did quite a bit the last few years and I've got a few coming out this year that I need to support, you know, for the publisher. So 
but I'm working slowly on one. It's it's a Q&A for caregivers of the mentally ill. So quite a lot of books have been written recently for people who are depressed, anxious, you know, borderline, schizophrenic, things like that. But not a lot for the caregivers. And I include pastors, family, uh, friends, and just very simple, practical helps to understanding what's going on. How's this happened? What can I do? How do you help people spiritually through this? How can you discern where they're at spiritually? How can you encourage them? Can you prepare for something like this? Um, how do you sustain care over the long term? So that's that's something working just very slowly on. Mm -hmm. It's on and off a bit, but that's okay because I've got enough going on in my life just now. Yeah, and I saw you have two books out on uh, teenagers, anxiety uh, in teenagers, one for the teenager and one for the parents right. with anxious right. yeah. teenagers. Yeah, that's with Crossway. Um, why am I feeling like this? Uh, it's a guide to freedom from depression and anxiety for teens. So written for kids, mainly story-based, a lot of practical guidance in it. But then again, as I was writing, I was just thinking there's a lot that parents need to hear because they are the key people in their kids' lives. Mm. And a lot of the problems can often be caused by parents just not getting their teens or um, just ignorance, actually, a lot of the time as to what's going on. So the chapters line up, different content, but chapters line up so that kids can go through their book, parents, pastors, counsellors, mentors can go through the other book. And hopefully build good relationships with one another and with Christ through them and hopefully at least manage these things better but hopefully also be delivered from them okay okay uh, they, they that sounds very helpful David uh, certainly I'm not at that stage but I think I'll be getting those off the shelf in a few years <laughs> <laughs> yeah we all yeah. need them yeah, especially if Liverpool don't win the league in a few years my uh, son's going to get very anxious <laughs> 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 the big things of life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But at least he's a happy man this year. Yeah, we all are. Yeah, amen. Uh, well, David, it's been great having you on uh, The Afterword. Thanks very much for joining this uh, online conversation about uh, reading books in the church. Um, and we wish you every blessing in your future ministry and also uh, in writing. And hopefully in due course, we can have you back on again. Thanks, Johnny. I enjoyed it, really. It's great to chat with you. And hopefully Westminster Books will go from strength to strength. I love the way that they make the, how they market books. I think it's very attractive. And the pricing of books is phenomenal. And their social media presence is excellent. So I think, I think they're, they're doing a great job. And I hope this helps to support that great work that they're doing. Yeah, well, thanks again for being with us. And uh, I'm going to hand back to Josiah now, uh, who's going to tell us who's coming up next month. Well, thanks, Johnny and David, for your time tonight. Uh, in way of closing, I, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about episode three of The Afterward. Uh, we're pleased to host Mark Rogop. Uh, he's the author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, and the just-released Weep With Me. How Lament Opens the Door for Racial Reconciliation. 
Uh, now more than ever, these are these are really sensitive topics, uh, but we're grateful that Mark has uh, chosen to address them uh, head on with with biblical wisdom and uh, pastoral sensitivity. Uh, Jonathan Lehman uh, says this about dark clouds. He says, this book helped me see something that's basic to Christianity that I hadn't yet fully grasped. I began reading it with my wife before finishing it for the first time. Every pastor, counselor, and indeed every Christian should read it. Don Whitney says, I would place Dark Clouds among the most important and influential books that I've read in the past few years. If you are going through hard times, this book may provide more insight and comfort than any other book except the Bible. Uh, both of these books, uh, Dark Clouds and Weep With Me, um, are great for group study. I think that you'll find yourself underlining on almost every page and just handing them out to, to everyone you know. Uh, you can RSVP today at for episode three at wtsbooks.com slash afterward. And uh, when you RSVP, we'll email you a free shipping code to use on your next order at wtsbooks.com. You'll also be entered to win a, a case, so 25 copies of both Dark Clouds and Weep With Me. Uh, so we'll choose one winner and they'll receive a case of each of these books to, to hand out to, to friends or, or use them in your church. We'd love for you to invite friends, family, uh, your small group, your pastor uh, to join us for episode three. It'll be July 27th at 8 p.m. And uh, you can RSVP uh, today again at wtsbooks.com slash afterward. So thanks for joining us tonight, and we hope to see you next time on The Afterward.